How about this? It's a Ben Fred Friday. Martin Kilquan here on the Scoops Network with Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. A Ben Fred Friday brought to you by the Lou Fuse Automotive Network and the Ascension Charity Classic. Ben, how are you, young man? I'm doing well, Martin. Good to catch up. Good to be with you. And it's just good timing because I had somebody in my chat this week at stlsa.com saying they were missing the podcast. So, Sounds like we're going to get this thing up and going again, which I'm thrilled about, and uh, I hope that all of our uh, all of our tens of listeners are excited. No, very popular, and I'm glad it's back, and I'm, I'm really uh, excited to to dive in, man. We got a lot to talk about. It's a busy time here, and I wonder, do we start with you know a uh, I guess it'd be a mea culpa towards the Mizzou fans because you and I had them all honked off a while back, where we just <laughs> we we kind of said we don't need to revisit the tape. I think I've had that destroyed. But I was basically of the belief, hey, if Mizzou competes this year and maybe even knocks on the door of an NIT bid, that's great. It's the first-year coach, brought a bunch of players with them. And then they've given us this sort of wild ride where, yeah, they won all those games they were supposed to win, clobbered by Kansas, and then they bounce back and beat Illinois handling and Kentucky. And all. So you keep going on this, I think, these mental hijinks of are they really good or not really good. I think at this point it's a tournament team. And for the fans who were really mad at you and me, I'll say, I was always hoping for the best. Never saw this coming. Well, I mean, let's be honest here. I think that while Mizzou was super impressed with Dennis Gates and excited about his his um, future as their head coach, I don't know that Desiree Reed Francois, if hooked up to a, a lie detector, would have told us that she predicted this. Um, <laughs> you got to give Gates a ton of credit, um, and you know. Clearly, the Tigers are legit, and they've proven that by continuing to play very well in the SEC. And it's a combination of things. And I was right there with you, Martin. I said, if this team gets to the NIT tournament in year one of a new hire, considering how much they had to flip the roster over and how bad they were, it'd be a huge success. Well, here we are, like debating: are they a five seed? I mean, uh, how can they? How much can they improve their stock? So, what a remarkable season it has been, with the best part still to come. But it's a combination of things, right? It's it's a really efficient, high-performing offense. Um, a bunch of shooters out there on the court who are all confident and can put the ball in the basket, and then a, a defense that is not going to you know wow you in terms of a lot of metrics, but they create steals without fouling and turn it into offense. It's exciting to watch. It's fun. It's entertaining. And if they have a game where where they're seeing shots fall, they're incredibly dangerous and. We've seen them run good teams out of the gym on nights where their shots fall. It's when they don't where they can get into a little bit of trouble. They, they're going to lose a lot of things on the on the offensive glass and defensive because they re, they're not big enough to rebound well. But when they create steals and can set their defense and when the shots fall, they can they can go out and beat anybody. Martin, I, I think they're a pretty scary NCAA tournament team if you go in there facing them and if you start turning the ball over, they can they can make you pay in a hurry. And there's a handful of guys. Now, Kobe Brown's emerged as their, their number one star, but on any given night, there's a number of guys who could lead him in scoring or who could have a big night, and you need that in the tournament. If Kobe Brown has an off night, well, maybe Demoy Hodge has the big night. You know, I just think and Golston could reemerge. You just have a lot of different weapons. They're also fun to watch. Our mutual friend Brendan Weesey, sports director at KTRS, is always saying to me, you know, they're fun to watch, and they get up and down the floor – and that fun brand, I think, also leads to more fans in the stands. And we all know how disheartening it was when you would see so many empty seats. You know, the low point, unfortunately, was the Kim Anderson era. 
and maybe more than any other sport, I think college basketball fans sort of vote with their pocketbook or their their disappearance where you can see it when buildings are empty. It's like, we don't believe in this program anymore. And we always say that in every sport. Well, if you don't like it, you show the Cardinals. Don't go to the games. And it just doesn't equate. But in college basketball, when they're down on a coach or a program, you can tell the building just dies. And that's what's so – that's my the, the visual this year is just seeing that building come alive. Yeah, and I mean, the, the fans are doing their part. They're selling out games, even like a midweek game. Uh, you know, they had a good game, wire-to-wire win against LSU, a team that's really struggled. Um, the student section carried it. You know, that's a tough game. Late start, um, folks maybe not making that drive from – Kansas City and St. Louis, and the student sections show up and carry the energy in the building, and, and that's a, a great sign when you've got a vibrant student section engaged and, and showing up early to games. And, you know, on, on those games where you need a little help, they're delivering. So I, I think there's a really good kind of two-way, you know, streak going. Mizzou fans, they will show up for a team they support that they feel like can, can win, and this team is giving them lots of reasons to come watch games. They're fun to watch. They, they are the pace is is so much more entertaining if you're going to lose even it's it's fun to see an offense that can put up points this one certainly can um, and also they're winning at home I mean that they, they've got two home losses one was the no-show against Kansas which I feel like they learned a lot from the other was uh, of course against uh, Alabama and Kobe Brown didn't play in that game because he was hurt so there's a good chance if you go you're going to see an entertaining product and there's a good chance you're going to see, you know, if you're a Mizzou fan, the team you want to win, uh, get the victory. So those are those are pretty compelling things when you're thinking about, you know, getting tickets and going out to support. So it's a it's a great vibe. And and here's what's happening now with Mizzou fans is, and this is this is the most Mizzou thing ever. And uh, you know, I say this as someone who went there and grew up watching Missouri teams. All my family went there. If you're not uh, wanting the coach fired, you're fearing that he's going to go get poached <laughs> by another school. There is no in-between. So, you know, now the question becomes, okay, is, is Gates having such a good season? Should Missouri fans be worried about him looking around? And, you know, I think that you're going to see his name pop up and stuff. But I think with, A, the fact that he would be owed, I think it's like $14 million if they bought him out, <laughs> if someplace wanted to buy him out after a year. But also – I think Gates is is a very smart coach, and I think he probably sees a lot of the things he's got going at Mizzou, and there maybe aren't a ton of places that can offer him a better situation right now. He's got a ton of goodwill. He's got the, the fan base fired up. He's got three four-star recruits in his upcoming recruiting class. Um, my advice for him would be to, hey, you know, turn the job you have into the one you ultimately want, and I think he sees a high ceiling at Mizzou, and clearly he's got a – an athletic department that is fired up about him. And he also knows that he can play that Eli Drinkwitz extension and raise card anytime yes. he wants, Martin, saying this guy had a losing record. Look what he got, so take care of me. So I think he's in a pretty good spot. I don't know that he needs to run around looking for something else just yet. I hadn't even heard that startup. Of course, every fan base sweats that when the coach emerges. He does seem to be a good fit there. And I also get the sense he and Desiree Reed-Francois are pretty tight. I mean, she didn't hire Drinkwitz. I don't know what their relationship is, but I do get the sense that Gates and Francois have a pretty strong rapport. Yeah, I thought the fact that he, um, after the Iowa State game, he came out and said, hey, I want to, you know, this is about Mizzou, too, and what they're contributing into this as much as what this team is doing, and specifically thank, you know, Desiree for letting him do his job and, kind of taking the approach of, hey, you're the coach. We hired you to do your job. Go do it. She's not going to micromanage. She's not going to 
kind of loom over every decision. And that's the, the best um, the best coaching success stories, the long-term ones, are ones where you get the right fit between an athletic department and a coach, and then they grow together. And, and I think they got a chance to do that with Gates. Um, you know, it doesn't always have to be – leveraging job opportunities elsewhere to get improvements if you if you believe in a coach you, you pour into the coach and the program and in some ways that's what mizzou has had tried to do is was thinking it was doing with eli drinkwitz i mean that that's why they made that commitment to him we can argue whether it was smart or not i guess we'll find out this upcoming season it sure felt unnecessary at the time but their thinking was hey look the curators saw that the sec salaries were expanding Everybody was making more, and they wanted Eli Drinkwitz to rank in a better spot among his SEC peers. Um, if he goes out and Tigers don't win and they don't have a quarterback this year, it's going to look silly because they will have to probably need to make a change. But if it works out well in their favor, then they built goodwill with the coach who you know, could be around for a lot longer time. So I think they're trying to be proactive. I don't think they have to do anything prematurely with Gates, but you better be positioned in case other schools start asking around because, you know, there's going to be some jobs open. Texas is open. Notre Dame is open. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen when uh, Leonard Hamilton retires at Florida State. That's, that's Gates' mentor. Um, as of now, he's still going. But, you know, you're either going to have a coach that is, is on the hot seat or a coach that other people want. It's a good thing to be on the wanted side of that spectrum, but you also got to play some defense. You know, it's interesting, and I, I don't try to always bring it back to Marquette. It just seems to end up that way. But they get Shaka Smart a couple of years ago. He's coming off the experience at Texas where, you know, they, he just wasn't good enough in their eyes. And now he's in Marquette. They're winning. He's going to be back in the yeah. tournament two years in a row. And I just sense, okay, I did the big leap. I went from VCU. I got the money. I got the big-time job. And I kind of got a little burned with it. And now I'm in the perfect spot. It's a basketball school. In other words, some coaches, and, and maybe this is true for Gates. I don't know how long he's going to be at Mizzou or how successful he'll be you know, in the end. But I think for some coaches, you have to just get to a spot and say, you know what, this fits me. Or I've already tried that other thing. Instead of, I just think that's got to happen sometimes where coaches are like, I'm tired of chasing the next big thing. Man, I think the smartest – I agree with you 100%. I think this, one of the smartest guys in the business is Ben Jacobson at Northern Iowa. <laughs> it's, just, it's like I'm getting, I'm getting paid a lot of money to coach basketball at Northern Iowa in terms of you know, what it takes to live there. And uh, I like my team. I like my administration. I'll just keep doing it and, and you know, build up a ton of goodwill that when you have a clunker or two of a season, people just kind of forget about it and you go out and try to win again the next one. But – a lot of times these guys are driven by by different things. Um, agents play a lot of in, a lot of uh, you know part in it. I, I I don't think we know yet, Martin, where Gates fits into this. Is he one of these guys who is going to be like a Mike Anderson flirter, where any opportunity that comes by, whether it's a lateral move or worse, he kind of lets it linger and tries to use it to negotiate. And like everybody knew, Mike Anderson was going to go to Arkansas, and for the most part, if he would have handled it better, everybody was more or less fine with it. It was that he had flirted with the Oregons and the Georgias beforehand that people kind of had like fatigue of like, all right, leave already. If, if, if every job that, that comes across your way is going to be of interest to you, that's going to tire a fan base out. I think you've got to be smart about it. And I, I think it's, a, it's kind of a two-way street. You hope that your, your coach gives you a chance to counter. And if there's someone else offering something better, you improve it. Um, and I also think Gates is 
has to understand Mizzou took a shot on him and, and other schools hadn't yet, and clearly they they saw something in him and they're being rewarded for it. So I think it can be a constructive thing to have outside programs be interested in. Hopefully the coach deals from a place of wanting to stay, not go when that time comes. Will it be this offseason? Maybe not. Um, but if he keeps winning, it's going to be a conversation at some point. You mentioned the Texas gig with with Shaka. That should be a lesson. And you mentioned earlier, Brendan, we see our pal at KTRS. Look, this he's been the first to be out on front of this. Like Texas is not always a good place to go. This idea that Texas can throw all the money in the world at you and that you can never turn down the Longhorns, like it's bogus. Look at the track record of coaches, football and basketball, that have gone there and flopped or been chased out or detonated on themselves for reasons off the field or court. The list is growing. Good coaches have gone there and failed, and they're never happy, and there's a ton of meddling between their boosters and their athletic department. It's a... It's not always it's not always a great place to be, and you'd think over time some coaches would learn that. It's a Ben Fred Friday here on the Scoops Network. Martin Kilquin alongside Ben Fredrickson, brought to you by Lou Views Automotive Network and the Ascension Charity Classic. As we sit here, it is a Friday leading into a Billiken showdown, a, a rare Friday night game at Chaffetz, and it's VCU coming to town. The Billikens trying to run down VCU. They're battling out for first place in the Atlantic 10. Billikens went 6-2 and two in the month of January, which sort of righted the ship. It's still going to come down to their conference tournament. Can they win it all in Brooklyn to get to the NCAA? But I do think they at least dug themselves out of a little bit of a hole there. Sort of the disappointment of December, I think, gave way to some momentum in January. But it, it would go a long way to winning a big game, which is what this is with VCU. Yeah, it's unfortunate that they blew that tire at, at Fordham. Um, Fordham's playing well. But uh, that was really a game you hoped the Billikens could win and then set up a bigger stage against VCU tonight at, at Chaffetz. But the deal is, and, and, and you nailed it, it's going to come down to winning the A-10 tournament. This idea, the hope, that you know, there could be an at-large, uh, you know, an at-large team that emerges from this conference, I just don't see it. And maybe if the Billikens had run the table, headed into the conference tournament, but just by losing that game at Fordham, it, it really hurts that chance because, you know, unfortunately the rest of the league of the A-10 did not schedule nearly as tough as the Billikens did in their non-conference. They, they missed out on winning a couple of those big games and they had the, the you know, just the, the resume killer that was that loss to SIUE. So if the conference as a whole had scheduled a little tougher in the non-conference, losing, losing a road game to Fordham, which is having a great season, but played nobody in their non-conference, it wouldn't be such a bad thing on the Billikens' resume, but it is. So um, I don't know that the VCU game is, is as big as maybe it could have been had the Billikens carried a winning streak into that, but they know they got to win the, the conference tournament, and this is their first of two meetings against VCU this year, and it's a chance to say, hey, can they be expected to be a, a heavyweight in that tournament or not? The conference is, is wide open. The tournament's going to be should be one of the more entertaining ones in college basketball this season because you got to kind of a lot of similarly placed teams that are all fighting out for one spot. So if anything, it's kind of the first uh, the first battle before the war of the A-10 tournament and a chance to see who really is the toughest team in this conference. So it should be a great environment at Chaffetz. And if the Billikens can get back on track with the win, then, then I think you feel better about their chances of going and doing some damage in that tournament. They've won it before, Martin. Um, and, and they can certainly do it again, but uh, it would be nice to see them not let that Fordham stumble turn into a longer sustained 
you know, down downturn again. And shout out to the St. Louis U women's basketball for hosting their education day. They do this every year where it's a daytime game, 11 a.m. tip. Uh, they had it with George Mason on Wednesday, and I think it was about 7,500 screaming kids in the building. I just love that concept because women's basketball does not draw as well as men's basketball. And if you can schedule a day where all these local schools either buy tickets or get tickets and pack the house and have – I think even George Mason's probably like, we don't really want to play an 11 a.m. weekday game, but, boy, you tell us it's going to be a great atmosphere. I just think that's such a cool idea. I don't know if you can do it more than once a year, uh, but it was great visually. And, and it's smart, too. Chris May said we get these kids in here at a young age and they start thinking about St. Louis U. Yeah, genius. And then I, I would encourage anybody who's got, you know, a, a young – young kid especially if uh, if they've got a, a young girl playing sports get them to some of these games um give them a chance to see you know young women playing their sports at a high level um i recently took my my niece she's start just starting to play basketball um just kind of trying to figure it out we took her to a mizzou women's game against uh, the lady vols at at columbia it was a great game missouri wound up i wound up losing um but it was the fact that you know she got to see you know, women playing basketball up close and playing at a high level with all the pregame, you know, pyrotechnics and the, and the starting lineup introductions, and and you know, she she got to see the game played and say, hey, why could why couldn't I do that? So I think it's great that Slu does it. I, I encourage, encourage folks to go. You'll find great atmospheres. You'll find inviting teams. Not too many teams where you can go and you know meet a player after the game and and get an autograph. Um, you know, have them sign a poster something like that it can it can really be a, kind of an inspiring thing for for young players of, of any of any kind but especially girls for them to see you know hey I could do this in college or hey that they're playing the same sport as me I think it's a pretty pretty good thing to do if you've got someone who's figuring out how to play yeah and Brooke Flowers who had the triple double she went to Metro High School from St. Louis she actually said in the post game I went to one of these games as a kid yeah, and never and never thought I'd be playing it. It was very cool. All right, how about a soccer thought from Ben Fred, who you were Mr. Soccer there for a while. I first heard of Lutz, Fren and Steel because of your column. I was down at uh, City <laughs> Soccer Practice on Thursday, beautiful facility. Uh, the coach talked and Roman Berkey. And the, the topic I brought up with both of them, you know, typically an expansion team in any sport – you don't expect much. You're like, oh, you're going to get your teeth kicked in. You're an expansion team. You don't feel that way about this club. And basically, Berkey said, I hope people think that, and then we can kind of sneak up on them. And yeah. and then Bradley Carnell, the coach, is saying, you know, we we don't think that way at all. I mean, that's not the way we built the roster. And so it is different than the other leagues maybe where they have to draft from the existing pool of players. They built this sort of on their own. Um, but I, I do get the – I get get the vibe, don't you? That the uh, the excitement for soccer—it's it's such a long wait, but it's almost here. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think February twenty fifth that game will be played in Austin, and unlike the Battle Hawks, the soccer team gets to play a home game pretty soon after the season starts. They don't have to wait weeks. Uh, but you know, March fourth, it'll be here in Charlotte. And I'm with you that the the conversation when they had that friendly um, against the Bundesliga team. After that, as they kind of started to turn the page toward, okay, that was that was the opener of the stadium, and now it's really about you know starting to get the team ready to roll. It was very much that you know the team saying, look, we've had the benefit of that added year that was created because of the pandemic, and while that was obviously unfortunate for all, all kinds of reasons, they tried to find the positive in it, 
in which they really have a lot of elements and strengths to their teams that most expansion teams don't. They've had guys who are familiar with the city who've had a chance to set up where they're going to live, and they've gotten to know where they're where they are. I mean, that stuff matters when you're trying to focus on the soccer to have all of the other stuff, you know, already done. Some expansion teams, guys show up and go, and it's kind of like their head is spinning until maybe halfway through the season, if not longer. They've got a practice facility on site next to their stadium. They've got, you know, they've they've got a team that starts to know each other, gets to play with each other a little bit. They've had the benefit of installing their coaching systems and their philosophy of play with the MLS Next team um, and kind of, you know, getting a, a feel for how they want to play the game. And these are all things that brand new teams that are fresh out of the gate in the expansion era don't get to have. And it's oftentimes why you see it, why they're getting killed every time they go out. So I, I've tried to set a tentative goal for this team, and maybe it's too risky, but I don't think they think it is. I think they could be a postseason team. Um, there's only been, I think, seven or eight teams that have made the playoffs in their expansion season, in their debut season. But City is not your traditional expansion team because they've had a lot of they had an additional year to kind of get their ducks in a row. And I think it's a, I think it's fair to to hope that you see that in how they compete on the field. So I have three weeks to get my scarf in order, my scarf game. I might have to call Mozilla and borrow a scarf, but I don't, I don't know if I have a city scarf laying <laughs> well, around the house. I think I will... you should go. I mean, there have been a, seri- a series of, of scarves. Is it scarves? Is that plural for scarf? Scarves? I think it's got a V. Boy, the Mizzou sure. J School is just taking a hit here. Scarves, I think? That's I right. think? i got to look at the AP. Scarves? Uh, scarves or scarves? Someone Sh- consult the uh, dictionary there. Um, you, you went to Marquette, so you know the answer. But remember when they first we were announced up there, yeah. it was so <laughs> yeah, cold we multiple, couldn't a scarf wouldn't be any good. <laughs> Parkas only. You remember the very first announcement of when they were trying to get the team? They had the, the, the you know the, the scarf they handed out, and now you've got there've been iterations of it. Yeah, from like from like they got the team, they got the sponsor, they got the name, they got the colors, and like I want to see someone. And I'm sure there's someone who has every single one. There's like, there's, if you add them all up, there's been like five or six. I want to see someone show up for game one with all of them. I think that would be a cool to like show the, you know, right. the progress from the very first day to the very first game. So um, I, I've got like two or three of them. We could all chip in between the media, assembled media. Maybe we would have have enough, and then we can like put them on Tom Timmerman. He's the post dispatch. MLS beat writer, and he could wear them all to the first game. I think that would be appropriate, if not too much of a homerific stance. All right, I think we, now we have something to aspire to. Ben, great to catch up. Have a great weekend. All right, Martin. Talk to you soon. See ya.